Welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Justin Box. Or that house to sell. If our house sells, then we can do this, this, and this. If now there's practical things around that, of course, but if we've got this 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 mindset that's ingrained in us that that we're only okay if that happens. Kind of like all our eggs are in the one basket, so to speak. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm in trouble. But I feel like the Lord, what He's doing and what we've been talking about all year is actually stepping into a place where we, where we become process-minded people, where we actually are aware of the, the days and the months and the year and the season that we're in as, as people. Like, where are we at? Where are you at with the Lord? And we can actually become into this place where we're, where we're present with Him and we, we value the process of Him working on us and in us instead of the outcome. Because if we get the process right, the outcome's inevitable. And, and, and we've been talking about keys for this journey, this journey of becoming process-minded people and not just fixed and focused on the outcome. Because who knows, the outcome's never concrete anyway. And if we have a concrete outcome mindset, what happens is we'll often we'll defer hope because it won't happen the way we thought it would. So we think he didn't answer our prayer and we say, why didn't you answer my prayer? But most of the time he did or he's just, he's just he's in a process of answering it. And often if it doesn't happen by a certain time or it doesn't happen the way we want it to, we say that he didn't move. And if that happens long enough and, and, and time after time after time, the hits, the hits, the hits, we get into a point where we go, oh, I'm just not sure. And then we get sucked into he's just sovereign only and then I'm not actually sure what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and I guess it's just if it's your will. And then we become disempowered believers who don't expect anything. And it's all happened because we had an outcome mindset and weren't okay with mystery, weren't okay with trust, and weren't okay with becoming um, process-driven people, where Jesus is actually present in your waiting. Jesus is actually present in your process. You don't have it all together. News flash. You are a mess. But yet every promise, he sees you as holy and blameless. He says, as he is in the, as you are in the world, as he is in the world, so he, wow. As he is, so are you in this world. He actually says these incredible things about you that you are now one with him. Separation is now not possible. You and Christ, this mystical union it's called, is now impossible because you said yes to Jesus. But yet you're still in this, in this process because you're not all together. Who knows that if we beamed all of our... Actually, let's focus on one person. No, just kidding. But if, we, if, we, if you flashed all my thoughts up on the screen, I'd be chased out of town, guys. And so would you. And it's, it's true. We're on a process. And what does the word say? He's, he's kind and he's patient. He, he, he is love. And what's love? Love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't keep records of wrong. It values the process. 
It values the process. He loves the fact that you are becoming who you already are. I know that's a, that's a weird statement, but Jesus loves that you are becoming who you already are. Because he's already done it, amen? He said it's finished. All these promises are yes and amen. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that all the promises and the prophecies and the things that God has for us are actually in our account. But not all of them are in our possession. And what's the ingredient for having it in our possession? It's faith. Now, faith's a weird word. No, it's not. It's a great word. But we as Christians have a degree in making things weird. We've probably got a doctorate in it of just grabbing words and then making them weird or making them harder than they're meant to be. Because we get around this word faith and we say, you know what, okay, cool. You've got your list of promises, your list of prophecies. I'm currently a bit of a mess and I'm becoming who I already am. I don't get that. So what's the ingredient? And, and God says it's impossible to please me without faith. We know that in Hebrews. But then we get all weird and we, we, we tie that in with, well, I can please him and not, and then he doesn't love me and he doesn't. No, he's just saying that faith's a really big deal. So this whole idea about faith is we, we put it into this really large area where we, we grow and grow and grow and strive and strive and strive. Then one day we wake up and we have this incredible large faith that can be outworked in our life. And there's an element of that true because faith does grow, faith does come. That's, that's true, but it's truer. It's truer, it's more true that you already have a measure of faith. So the Bible makes it really clear, um, Romans 12, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, it talks about that you, you've already been given ability You've already been given grace. The fruits of the Spirit are the list of nine, and they are fruits of the Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit in you because of Jesus. He can't be taken away. So you have His presence, and you have the Spirit in you and on you. So what does that mean? You've got the fruits of the Spirit in some degree. You've got a measure of faith in some degree, and you've got a measure of grace in some degree. But Peter makes an incredible statement and he says, peace and grace be multiplied to you. Romans 12, Paul says, according to the grace given to you, the gifts are outworked in your life. So it's this incredible thing that we can actually grow in faith and we're to steward the gift that we've got. What I want to talk about today is This whole idea around the promises of God, the prophecies of God, and that all being there, but us in this process, and us going on a journey as a church to step into them. And as I said, it's going to come in bursts. There's going to be times of great consistency happening, and then there's a lot of momentum, and then it peels back a bit, and we talk about something else. But, but God, you can feel it just even a couple of weeks ago with the testimony starting to come through. I mean, I don't get many um, testimonies, uh, text messages in general, but I love it when I do, 
Um, just like encouragement, that's amazing. My love language is words of affirmation. Anyone who'd like to know that. Um, so text messages every now and then is nice. But I got one out of the blue by two people uh, during the week, which will rename nameless, within five minutes of each other, just with what God did on Easter in someone's heart. And then another testimony, I can name Tamara, um, but she shared about um, that she, she tested God in tithing because she was sort of doing it inconsistently. No, I'm just kidding. Um, inconsi- I'm joking. Please don't read into that, seriously. Um, the, she, she was doing it inconsistently. And, and there's something about being consistent with the Lord. And she started doing it, and they just had an increase. And she messaged me the other day saying, Enoch randomly got an email that there's a pay increase. He's just getting a pay rise. So can we cheer Jesus for that? Because she shared that testimony. So there's all this stuff happening about the promises and prophecies and testimonies, and, but we're still a process. Like we've got this amazing ability to be in worship on a Sunday and drive home and have the largest fight with our spouse we've ever had in our life. Like I'm amazed at our ability to be everything that God is not. I'm sure it's not just me. But I'm shocked at how I can act sometimes. Most, no, not most of the time. But I am. Like God's doing something with me around this, this whole process of what am I giving myself to in this season? What am I giving myself to? I can, be, I can preach, I can worship, but if I'm not the same person at home, I'm a bit of a joke. I'm in a process, and unfortunately you can't see my full process in 30 minutes. I'm working really hard to give you snippets of it so I don't, you don't just think I'm, of course you wouldn't, but um, you don't think that I've got it all together. Because it's a lie that we believe that disqualifies us from sharing Jesus or praying for people that we think the guys that come out, the students that come out, they've got it all together. We're all as messed up as each other, but we're all on this amazing journey of becoming who we already are. And I want to talk about something for probably 15 or 20 minutes now um, that I feel is going to really encourage us with, with where we're at as a church. Is that okay? So good. All right, so I've got probably six or eight scriptures that we're going to bounce up and set the scene for today, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. Is that cool? So the current situation, just before we put the scripture up, real quick, it's, um, it's the beginning of John, the Gospel of John, and the church, the Christian era has had 400 years of silence. You would have heard me talk about this a little bit. 400 years of silence. It's a mysterious time in the church age. So from the book of Malachi, from that prophecy about Malachi, um, about Jesus coming, about that, that, that one will come and he'll restore fathers to sons and sons to fathers. That's the last time that someone with prominence from Christian heritage or upbringing or anyone that was called by God spoke about the Lord. It was the last time that God spoke through priests and through prophets for 400 years. So when John the Baptist came on the scene, it's a really, really big deal ushering in a new way of thinking and doing, ushering in the new covenant, ushering in the New Testament, which we have Malachi, then we've got 400 years of silence, and then we've got Matthew. And in that years, a couple of things that happened, the development of the Pharisees happened in that 400 years, that religious system happened. The Sadducees, we also see that mentioned in Acts 4, especially the Sadducees. They were two different people. They, they were actually at war with each other, but they had common ground with both hating Jesus. And they were both developed over that 400 years 
of silence. The Roman governors and the family of Herod all came onto the scene. Large events also marked that with the Maccabean revolt and the dominance of the Greek language and the rise of the Roman Empire. So those things, we might think that nothing much happened, but historically we could read and gather some information where lots of things were actually established. So when Jesus came onto the scene, all that system that was opposing him got in motion in that 400 years. 400 years is a long time. We've only been alive from probably, you know, zero to 90. Um, But 400 years is such a long time. So we're going to pick up the story with John the Baptist, the first Christian in 400 years, making an announcement. Is that cool? And we're going to look at what happened to John over a period of time. John 1, 6 to 9, it'll be up on the screen. Here we go. Let's do it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell people about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John 1, 29 to 30. The next day, John saw Jesus toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Let's skip over to John chapter 3, verse 25 to 31. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. Verse 26, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you you identified as the Messiah, is baptizing people. He's talking about Jesus. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive unless anything unless God gives it from heaven. Verse 28, You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Verse 30, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. Okay, so what we've got, we've got for a period of time, John announcing, hey, repent, guys, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know the word repent is not harsh. It's an invitation for them to change the way that they think about God because it was a new day. So John's saying, repent. You've got to change the way that you think because everything's about to go down. And it's going to be different to everything you've been brought up in. So you've got to change the way that you think and your actions and behavior are going to have to follow. So that's what John was doing. And he was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. And it was all happening. And he's talking talking to the people about this Jesus, this Messiah that was coming. He was saying, he's going to exceed me. He's going to be greater than me. And then someone else said, hey, dude, this guy is on the scene and, he's, and, and all this stuff's going on and they're not coming to us anymore. And John's like, yeah, I told you. I already told you, dudes, that, that he's actually greater than I am and I've got to dip out because he's got to take the reins because he's, he's the one that we've been talking about. And then we've got this, this dialogue, this interesting story 
So we've got John in one, you can put up one, uh, John 1, John 1.29. So we've got John making this great statement. Wait, did you see my head tick? Luke 3.30. So he made this crazy statement, he must become greater and I must become less and less. So John is affirming Jesus as the Messiah. John is defending Jesus as the Messiah. John came as a forerunner and he's declaring who Jesus is. And then we've got this incredible text in Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 23. And this text in Luke 7 is going to set us up for what I feel like the Lord wants to encourage us on. Sorry, bits of paper around the wrong way. Verse 18. The disciples of John, so this is fast forwarding. Jesus is on the scene, signs, wonders and miracles are happening. Uh, the, the towns are being turned upside down. It's full on. And then John sends out his disciples and watch this. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask if you are the expected one or are we looking for someone else? Verse 21, at that very time, this is awesome, Jesus, at that very time, he cured many people of their diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind. And then Jesus answered, he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offence. Blessed is he who does not take offence. We've got this phenomenal situation. John 1.29. Let's put that up. Remember what... Remember what John said about Jesus as he came. The next day, John saw Jesus coming and told the crowd, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we fast forward to Jesus turning the cities upside down and let's look at Luke 7, 19. Let's flick there. Summoning two of his disciples, John said to to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? That's weird, hey? So I've got this situation that John is primed, pumped, and ready to usher in Jesus. He's announcing who he is. He's fully aware that he is not the Messiah, but Jesus is. He's fully aware that he said, I've got to, I've got to become less. He's got to become greater and greater, and I've got to become less and less. And then he dipped out and Jesus took the reins. And as we know, crowds, crowds spread, news spread. It was absolutely insane. But then we've got this crazy situation where John the Baptist is asking some questions. He's like, like insecurities rising up in him. Fears rising up in him. And because he, and he, any teacher or prominent person back in that day had their own um, followers. So you can be called a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. He was called that because he had followers. Anyone else, you can have multiple rabbis with multiple followers. And they, they devote themselves to that 
uh, rabbi's teaching. So same with John. He had this posse of people that would follow him. And he said to them, hey, guys, go and, go and speak to Jesus and ask him if he's the one that we were expecting and ask him, actually ask him if we should be expecting anyone else. Like it's full on. So he's been witnessing this from a distance. Mate, news has been spread, spreading everywhere. So he's fully aware of what's happening. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't whip him. He, Jesus says, okay, can I just answer that in one moment? Okay. Bang, 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 bang. Miracle service. People get rocked and healed and set free. And he's like, hey, I'm in, it's all happening. God's touching people. It's wild. Um, go back and tell John, the blind, the blind see, the deaf the deaf here, the dead are raised, the gospel is being preached to the poor, go and tell him that. <laughs> and then he goes back, we don't hear much more. And then we hear what happens with John, he gets his head cut off and that's no good. It's a true story, you know that guys, you've read the Bible. And then Jesus had to withdraw, withdraw to a secluded place because he was so upset. But he didn't rebuke him, he actually said that, it was amazing, after he said that the, the blind see and the deaf ear, go and report that, and then he says to the crowd, so John's disciples run off. They go, hey, John, this is all happening. This is what Jesus said. Well, he didn't answer me. No, but this is evidence, okay? And then Jesus returns back to the crowd and says, you know what? Throughout the whole history of the earth, there's no one being greater than John the Baptist. How crazy is Jesus with the honor? But what I felt the Lord stirring, um, what I really felt the Lord stirring in, in me is this verse. That Jesus says, Luke 7, 23. Can we put this up? Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. See, what was happening in that time was a fresh move of God. It was unprecedented. It was pioneering. It had never been seen. That's why repenting was such a big deal because people had to adjust by changing the way that they thought or they would miss it. And what we had was the Pharisees chose offense, the Sadducees chose offense, and the religious leaders of the day chose to walk in offense and they actually missed the move of God that they'd been praying for. And what happened was even John, who was sent, that was different to the religious leaders, John the Baptist was sent to prepare. He was prophesied over in the Old Testament to be the one that was making way the path, preparing, making path straight for the Lord. Even he wasn't um, protected from offence even he wasn't, wasn't sheltered so much that he couldn't get offence. What happened was he was the guy that was doing everything. Jesus took on this role that he prepared, started doing all the stuff. And then John found himself in this place of insecurity, fear and offence. And he, he asked the question, is this really Jesus? And I, and I, and I felt really strongly about this because it's something that I'm currently working through with a lot of movements happening all over the world and in Australia at the moment. And it's, am I going to be offended by people doing things different to the way that I think? Or am I going to embrace it and choose honour? Because I tell you what, 
God is doing something fresh. God is doing, and I'm not talking about this church. It is a, it is a transition time in the leadership of this church. The transition time will last a period of time. Presenting new things like the Good Friday thing, presenting new things like the carol service, presenting new things like the Westall Primary thing, presenting new things like the school, presenting core beliefs, presenting a new name, presenting all these things that we feel like the Lord's doing. And at the same time, there's, there's movements happening that are, that are happening all over the world. I mean, I don't know if you'd know, but there was a thing in um, Orlando, Florida, a couple of months ago called The Send. And it was the most historic event that we've seen in Christianity in the last 200 years. Where there was, and then there was Azusa now. You, you know the revival in Azusa in the early 1900s about how the Holy Spirit fell and the Jesus people movement was birthed and, and, and America just got absolutely rocked by Jesus. Well, there was 50,000 at that stadium with miracles and people getting born again and incredible things happening and the church immobilized in LA like three, uh, two years ago and it was phenomenal. And then well, there was another thing called the Send and there was about 70,000 young people I mean, Peter Mattis just said, I'm going to fast for, for a period of time and I'm just going. No one's paying me, but I have to be there. So he's talking about this hunger that's happening all over the planet and it's starting by just different people here and there. And if you follow these people, you're just bombarded nonstop on Facebook with different ministries doing different things. And I've had to learn and I, first thing I've had to learn is knowing what I'm called to and being confident in it. That's still a work in progress. And that's really important for all of us as we're going on a journey together about discovering our why. If we don't know our why, we fumble through life. So that's why we're all doing it together. We've signed up um, and we're doing it together. Discover your why. That's, that's happening. And when we can identify our why, the purpose and reason for life, it brings clarity and confidence. But so I had to go on this journey to discover like what's... I'm, I know I'm different. I mean, look at the way I'm dressed. <laughs> Someone said to me on the handover service, glad you dressed up for the occasion. I'm like, hmm, thanks. I love you too. It was Danny Parker, um, the pastor of Kingston. But I've had to, I'm still on this process of being confident and comfortable in how I feel he's made me. And it's really challenging because there's expectation on who I am, especially as a senior leader, and on fitting molds and fitting, this is what a pastor is, this is what a pastor does. And even reflecting back to Mike, he's got PowerPoints, so you should probably have PowerPoints. I had some today, guys, so it's okay. Um, but just, I, I'm, I think I'm talking on all of us that we're in this time of, and how important it is to be comfortable in our own skin, so to speak, in our own calling, and being confident that this is who I am and I don't have to compare myself. I've got to grow and I've got to develop and I've got to, I can't be a jerk. Like I've got to grow in kindness and the fruits of the Spirit, but I've got to know my bent, my passions, my, what I burn for, my call, my why. And I'm still on that journey of nutting it out and narrowing it down. And then it's important to surround myself and us with people that maybe don't, are stronger in areas that I'm not. And we're very much in this behind the scenes at the moment, sometimes crying about it. Like, I know I can't do everything. I can't do everything. I can't present all the truth. I can't be responsible for all truth that's presented here. So we're praying for people that have the gift of teaching. 
We're praying for people that can actually present truth because they're going to have different perspectives of it. So I'm in this place right now of just like, what, who am I? What, not the identity in Christ. Of course that's growing. That has to keep growing. But that's really secure. I know who I am and whose I am, and I know I'm a son. So it's from that position I can be a father. We can't be a, a mother or a father unless we've first become a son or a, or a daughter. That's really important. So I'm in this place now of just working out who the heck I am, where it comes to ministry and being okay with it and being confident in it. But then there's this other side. So that's currently working out. So in that, there's this other side of then the Christian world telling me and you and us who we should be. And they're all doing great things. There's people being healed. There's movement starting. There's stadiums being filled. And they're doing phenomenal things. And there's 20, there's 50 of them. There's probably 100 of them. But are we called to do the same things? Or what are we called to do as Echo Church, heaven to earth, replicating heaven to earth, imitating heaven to earth, repeating heaven to earth? What are we called as a church? What am I called to lead? Am I going to get sucked in to this is what I should look like, this is how I must lead, and that is not making excuse for growth and transparency and feedback, but I can easily become offended to God actually moving where I'd isolate myself to say that's not God and we are, or I am, and we stay in this little bubble and think we can see seven billion people born again. So I'm on this journey, and this smacked me in the face that we've got John the Baptist as the stamped forerunner, approved by heaven to make straight the pathway of the Lord, and here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I must decrease and step back so he can be who he is. And we, we flick through six or seven chapters and we find him in a spot questioning if Jesus is actually the one that he said he was. And Jesus, because signs and wonders marked him and were evidence of Christianity and who he was sent, if you do a study of signs and wonders, they're actually imperative. You can't actually take them from the message of the gospel. It's, they have to be together. The message of the cross accompanying with signs and wonders. Jesus actually made a bold statement. If, if I don't do the works of the Father, I believe, might be 20. Because the works on their own will testify. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't demoting scripture. He wasn't demoting the message of the gospel. But he was making a point that signs and wonders were meant to accompany the message. So we've got this, this thing that is happening. It's happening in us at the moment where we're figuring out who we are. We're becoming who we already are. And we're fumbling through it because we, we've got experiences that have marked our thinking. And I'm not keeping this message down here like, oh, no, 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 we're amazing. You've been made one with Jesus. He sees you as holy and blameless. He keeps no record of wrong and his love towards you is kind and it's patient. 
Every promise has been stamped yes through Jesus. He's made a way for you to be amazing on display. You already are amazing, but he's made a way that you get to be amazing on display. And, and this thing around offense, and I'm not talking about offense through people. We can have a classic three-point message about offending each other and how we work that out. And John Bevere did a teaching called The Bait of Satan, um, which is offense, and you can read that and it's great. But I'm not talking about offense with people. We might talk about that another time when we get stuck into relationships and communication and stuff like that and how we can actually act kingdom together. But um, what I'm talking about is us as believers who are hungry for a move of God can actually find ourselves offended by another move of God. Or we can actually be offended by another person's perception of who Jesus is. We can actually find ourselves offended by something that God does through someone else because he didn't do it for us. Am I making sense? Chris, can you jump up? You're so great. Blessed is he who does not take offence at me, Jesus. It's a classic line for what he was about to do. I don't think he was antagonistic. I don't think he was controversial. Like as in, of course he was both of those things. But they're more heart motive. The, the bigger deal with those two things are the heart motive. Because you can be called antagonistic and be called controversial. But it's a whole other thing to be aware that you are and enjoy it and embrace it and do it. But Jesus said, blessed is he who does not take offence at me. Here's the key. Jesus broke the mould of what God was like. They were expecting something and he shattered their perception and he was okay with it. And I really feel I wrote this. I'm just going to read it. I can't remember what I wrote, but I'll just read it. So now here we are in the early stages of a move of God globally. And I feel strongly that we are right now being confronted with the same thing the Pharisees were, the Sadducees were, and John the Baptist was. Are we going to get offended and put out, because being offended, this is Justin's translation, is putting walls up. Are we going to get offended and put our walls up or are we going to allow Jesus to be Jesus and we choose humility and we choose courage and we jump on board with what He wants to do and how He wants to do it. Jesus appeared and He didn't choose 12 people who had a doctorate of theology. He chose thieves and zealots. He chose a tax collector and he chose fishermen. His first decision on earth offended people. So you're saying you're the Messiah, but yet you're choosing people who don't have any Christian heritage and are thugs and thieves. His first miracle was turning water into wine and providing top shelf quality wine for drunk people and yet do not be drunk on wine he 
they had a custom that you could not heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. There was, in that day, blind people were treated as a lower caste. And often it was who sinned, their mother or father. Because clearly this is a curse because of something someone did. And what was common for the lower class as they begged on the road that couldn't see, they were spat on. So it was common for for them with no eyes to actually hear the sound of someone forming some spit hundreds of times a day and then spat. And because Jesus wasn't the typical pastor, because Jesus wasn't interested in fitting a mold, but he was being who his father created him to be, Jesus walked up to him and went, And can you imagine what the blind guy did? Here we go again. Here we go again. I've been spat on all day and here's here's another one. But Jesus spat in the dirt and formed it into whatever you want to call it, some mud, and put it on the blind guy's ears. Thanks. I was thinking about 17 other things at the same time. I'm up there somewhere just trying to work this whole thing out. I'm not trying to be weird. Um, Eyes. And he was healed. Not the first time. Saw trees upside down or whatever he saw. But he said it again and he was healed. But I love the fact that not only was he physically healed, he was emotionally healed by Jesus. Because Jesus used the thing that was hurting him emotionally by spitting on him and used that in the miracle. Jesus ate with sinners. Rabbis and teachers were, it was not custom. He ate with Matthew. He spoke at length with the Samaritan woman. That was not okay. It was not okay. He forgives the immoral woman in John 8 that we spoke about last week, where I don't condemn you. She just committed an act that Moses forbids and she should have been stoned. But Jesus flipped it upside down and said, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Release grace so she could. He ate at Zacchaeus' house. There was a funeral procession. Mums wailing over the coffin as they're walking through the streets. It's a sensitive time. It's a time of honour. It's a time to pay respects. In that day, it was outwardly, emotionally crying. It's intense. And Jesus just walks up to the coffin. Can you imagine what the mum's thinking? Don't touch my boy. And Jesus walks over and just says to him, get up. And in the middle of mourning and weeping and wailing and the whole deal that they did, Jesus marches in to that that procession, just marches in. Didn't ask anyone, didn't go up to the mum in honour and say, hey, I'm Jesus, you would have heard about me, I'm going to raise your son. Didn't care. Because he's got what's going to happen in 10, 20, 30 seconds in mind and, and she'll forget this. 
So he walked over and said, get up. He rises up. Would she have preferred being offended for a minute and then see a move of God in her midst and her son back? Of course she would have. And not washing his hand when he sat down and ate. Can we stand to our feet? I could go on and on and on and on about Jesus breaking the mold. And I feel like the Lord, what He's doing is He wants us to set our hearts up. And I'm not preaching this message so we can do what we want. (laughs) But I feel like the Lord's speaking really clearly about all the things that are happening around the world because there's thousands of people being healed and and meeting Jesus every day all over the world. It's happening. We just got to tune into it. So yeah, thank you, Jesus. Let's just engage with Him, talk with Him. Thank you, God. Yeah, thank you, God. It's possible, God, to be in a move of God, but because it happens different, because it tweaks us, because it's not comfortable because it's not the way that we would have done it, we can actually put walls up and be offended, which is actually the Greek definition of pride. But when we choose humility, the Lord gets to come in and He gets to say, hey, I know what you've been praying for and this is that but it's looking a little bit different. Like Peter said to the crowd when the prophecy of Joel 2 was being fulfilled in their midst on the day of Pentecost. Peter got up because he saw them start, start to be offended at a move of God, which they'd been praying for, church. They'd been praying for a move of God. They'd been on their hands and knees. They'd been fasting. They'd been wanting and, and expecting a move of God, but it happened different. Jesus came onto the scene and He did everything different to what they were expecting. And so many people that were meant to usher it in and be on His team missed it because they chose to have a lens and an expectation and a perception of of what it should look like. But Jesus broke the mold. And I feel like the Lord in His kindness coming, 